Hello out there, this is Andrew LeGolden welcoming you back to our Sounds and Vision pod chat. I want to thank you for all the wonderful sendings and opinions you've given us all the pleasure on our guest for the last two weeks, Mr. Johnny Mann. Today's guest is my good friend, Mr. Jonathan Becker. Jonathan is a photographer, mainly known for his work until recently with Vanity Fair. Then when they dropped one of their colors and went schlocky, Jonathan was no longer there. Or some version of that. Jonathan has worked from the Amazonian jungle, first encounter photography of members of the Yano Mummy tribe. And from that he danced into Buckingham Palace and does the Prince of Wales and Camilla Parker Bowles together. Bowles, I'm sure it should not be pronounced by that, but Camilla will forgive us if she is listening. Jonathan works with old cameras. And for those of you who work with new cameras, the phone upon which you may be right now, you're in for an edutaining lesson of how to improve the stuff that you take. In Vanity Fair, Annie Leibovitz and other people were assigned the flash people. Jonathan was assigned the money. He took money and culture and heritage pictures. Please join me with my good friend, Mr. Jonathan Becker. Just before we started this little chat, you took a few pictures of me. Yeah. A few is the operative word. Yeah. And plenty. Yes. But not the not the here I'm gonna go on to wobbly ground because one's one's experiences in my life is either really early where there was someone as direct and plenty was a few. Or someone like Terence Donovan or Brian Duffy. Two the malaise of today where it can be a two-hour warm-up. I mean, a rock and roll photographer would spend not only two hours getting you in the mood, but himself in the mood. That's very undisciplined. Yes. Okay, good. I started with Brassai, my great hero. Yes. I used a, a plate camera. Yeah. So he knew what he was doing before he did it. And he had three, you know, he, for a portrait, he had three plates. And it was a bit like John Phillips. He thinks in advance. He's another right. Virgo. Yeah. Like me. And he, so he knew what he wanted before he did it. He didn't expend film warming up. And it's expensive, by the way. If every time I click the button now, it's five bucks to right. process, not even to make a print. So if a roll of 12 is already uh, 60 bucks, and then if I were taking pictures, click, yeah, yeah, can yeah. you imagine? Click, 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 that's 100 bucks. Those three plates, what? goes into making sure all those three... He had that moment of great excitement, and he didn't feel it, he didn't take a picture. Oh. And he had the moment of, oh, this. And then he made it, uh, he did it. And I, when I did his portrait for interview, yeah, way back, and I decided I would do with the same Voigtlander that he used. And I had three plates. And we did it in front of the Mayflower Hotel. Remember that on the yep. west side? I loved it. And so we went out on the street to take the picture. I, I was a little nervous. I knew him very well already for four or five years. But here I am taking his picture, which I'd done before, but not with his camera. Huh. And I, I took the three plates. And then he said, let me see what you did. 
so he comes back and looks through my... He said, you go stand where I was. We're about the same height. Oh, so he'd have to see it the same way... No, we just looked through yes. the viewfinder. Yes. Electrical cameras. And he just instinctively lifted the handle on the tripod. He tilted the camera down just a few inch, an inch or two, maybe an inch and a half. And he said, look. And he went back. Lo and behold, all the lines had changed. The composition changed. It was so much more plastic, and just with a little uh, like this. And I thought, you've got to, it, it's something that's in your... I've got, I'm more like that now. But I was a kid then. I was 20. Yeah. What is the more like that now from? Hmm? The more like that now. It's just a facility that comes from experience. Yeah. But he knew what he wanted before he would do something. That I learned from him. Uh-huh. Don't waste. Sometimes I'm on assignments, and it's difficult because you don't necessarily have a connection with a subject that you're assigned to photograph. And it may be people have been very difficult to talk with, even. Some people don't understand. I don't do mostly movie people or no. theater people. I do sometimes I'll waste some film just making them think that it's just to break the ice a little bit. But I know I'm wasting it. Sometimes I don't put film. But a lot of the people that you, you photographed you, that they almost seem to be, because of their job, be it in, in royal families, yeah. in businesses, or they're almost, they're, one of the professional jobs is not letting you in. In that case, it's better not to take any pictures for a while. Because then they wonder, well, no, they, they, get, they actually calm down, because they, but then they want their picture taken more. Because they think, well, what are you doing? Because they're used to people coming in and taking thousands of pictures. Lick, 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 lick. So they're more facile about the whole thing when the time comes to actually take the few pictures and then you've thought about what you want. Yeah. And you've been looking at them and you've been studying them and then talking with them and then you only need a few pictures. Right. Like right now, look at you right there. You're looking at me, you're, you're wondering, you're looking at me like, wondering, what the hell is he talking no, about? No, 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 I find it because... But that quizzical look is brilliant. Yeah, it's because it's to say I'm lining it up in my brain with what I would be looking for when I w- was making records for some, for, because you, you're putting the vocalist in a version of what you're talking about. One of the stories, I think it was Bill Wyman on the stone set, one session that Andrew made all the difference. We, we, we were recording in the cavernous RCA studios in Hollywood. Uh-huh. And when he came down to us doing ballads, like Play With Fire or something, I did a lighting plot. I mean, they're not going to do a ballad the same. I did, you see, I didn't think this then. It just seemed automatic. Close the studio down, make it more intimate, make it like a club as opposed to a big stadium. Because in that recording studio right. that was put to handle 40 musicians, that's different energy. Now must, now we want that seductive... Intimacy. Yes. That's what I'm talking about. It's yeah. intimacy. When you're intimate with what, then it's time. And you're reading the faces. Yeah. Yeah. Which I do because I am in a number of countries where I don't speak the language. Yeah. Or can't be bothered. It's all in the eyes. Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, it's wonderful. And I, I imagine it's like the people in front of you, you may sit, well, then when that moment has when they want their picture taken, there's probably a number of pictures which you, you could have taken, but you haven't got it ready. They're, they're there for you. Well, you, can go, you can go back and get them. Yeah. It's strange. They, things repeat themselves. And, huh. and then it's better. Yeah, it's even better than what you thought. It's funny how it happens. I, I can't. It's hard to articulate these visual things. It happens very quickly when it happens. It's a sixtieth of a second, hundred twenty-fifth of a second, five hundredth of a second sometimes. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. It's got to be that sixtieth of a second. Not if you take all the sixtieth of a second. It's funny. 
click, 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 click. You go and look at the whole roll of film, there's nothing there. It's a question of will. I, I know what I want for me. I, you know, I can have a camera and take pictures till hell freezes over, and it'll be terrible. But if I'm looking at you right now, and I see something, I definitely see a picture of you right now. In this light, I might move it a little bit. I know what I want. I only need one frame. Just give me one frame, and I've got it. And I'll be sure to get it. It might take me five minutes, because I know I'll need a tripod here. And I know I'll need this. So I know it. You know, I get that look back on your face, and it may take me a while to, to talk you into right. that face right. again. Okay, talk me into it. That's right as well. But I only need one frame, because when I get, yeah, maybe I take two, maybe three, because I screwed something up with a push the shook the lens or one thing or another. But I don't need more than three. But you've recognized the moment. Yeah, I've got it. I, I like it. Right. But then I don't care. Then like, yeah, but uh, that, that's the, the key to me in this committee-driven world, that there's... Not enough. Oh, I like, don't care about what anybody else thinks. I, and I've always had this. It's You know what? I, I think if there's one thing that made me confident from the first days, I don't know where it came from, but I knew when I started in my teens, even before, at 12 when I started doing this, I knew when I had something that I liked. It didn't matter to me. I knew if I, it was good to me, all I cared about, it, that I was happy. That's what I wanted in a picture. At that age? Maybe not 12, but by the time I was... But you knew 18. Oh, no, I knew. knew. When I got it, I thought, yes, this is it. I knew what I liked. It made me happy. What am I going to tell you? It makes me happy that I don't care about anybody else. That's perfect. I mean, I knew what I liked from the first time my mother took me down into the undergrounds in London, and I saw cinema posters, and I went, whatever this is, I want. It turn you on. Yeah. Exactly. And more turned on by Daryl Epsanek presents. Didn't want to be Victor Mature. Was a drawn to you know, the producer. Yeah. And uh, let it go because I was happy doing PR and things like that. But then it comes back. But you recognized it. You never, ever forget, forget it. it. You light on it. Yes. It gives you light. Yes. It gives, strangely, there were very few times when I could, because I, I got good at it on assignment. That's hard on assignment because it's not your inspiration it's what you're told to get inspired by right it's a bit like having to be a gigolo or something I don't okay yeah i would be yes. terrible at yes this. i'd be terrible i found a way of getting interested in people that i didn't necessarily have any connection to then weirdly the ones i had the most difficulty with through all of these times with the with the magazine and whatnot were professionals because they were so guarded. Yeah. Professionals, and, like, yeah, but just actors. Not all of them. Some of no. them. There's a, there, there are so many walls and layers and, they, and the vanity. And they want to see. I can't get them to react or talk. Or it's, this is their, the image is so important. It's not that important. No. One of the books I bought to, uh, the great book on Frank Sinatra, which I'll send you a, uh, a picture of so you know to get it, written by the guy called Elliot Something, who managed him the last 20 years. Uh-huh. 
who was involved in the Westchester thing with the photos with the Gambino family. Oh, the the, the big... Yes. Yeah, right. Yeah. And the book is great. There's a few sad things in it because it seems Frank was... Well, Mr. Sinatra was on antidepressants too long. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And his wife, allegedly, didn't want him to stop taking them. And it was one of the things that started to cause his memory... Now, I mean, I know from my drug-taking day right. that you're sitting there and say, Doctor, I've been on this one for six months already. It's clashing with these other two. What should we do about it? And they're all different colors and shapes and sizes, and no one knows what's in that those funny-shaped pills. No. That's sad. I didn't know that. Yeah, but he the, he also managed uh, Liza Minnelli and gives it to her. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. But it, the saddest part is him towards the end at his, you photographed him, right? Yeah, yeah, a couple times. Yeah, what time of his? Oh, later, later in the, I suppose the first time must have been the very early nineties when he was in Monte Carlo for the Red Cross Ball. Uh-huh. Even after Grace died, he went back in her memory and in the stuff and sing. Yeah, for the Red Cross, it was a big draw, and and I was there with Ann Hurst. Who, uh, it was the last, it was the very last thing I did at Town Country Magazine. Yeah. It was a social thing. And she was, she, it was her family. And so I went with her to do it. And um, he was very specific about being photographed. He said, you can have one frame. But this already took three days and nights to get him to agree to this. Uh, three days and nights at the bar at the Hotel de Paris, huh. uh, drinking all night long at a table that's just exactly this size, like 20-inch, uh, you know, what, what right. do you call that kind of a table, a bar table? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, it was the three of us sitting around. There had been 30 people. He'd taken everyone to dinner. Every night he took everyone to dinner. and paid. He had an overhead. Huh? He had an overhead. He insisted. I don't know why. It was just by the end of three nights in a row. Just, and, and in the background, I remember fuzzy bodyguards. Because in the middle of the table was a Jack Daniels. And like a wine bottle pouring that that much. Uh, and the ice. And, and I, I can't drink more than two or three of these. It tastes like cough syrup. Right. It, it's sweet. Yes. yes. And he, But he's insistent on it. And that's what I had to... I remember the one thing, I, and he also he knows that you won't remember anything. So you can have these great conversations, and it's fun. And he tells a story, and you tell a story. And actually, it's a great way of being. But you could no way you could possibly remember anything that he'd said. And you can't take notes. And the moment I most remember about him terrified me was that in the late at night, one of these nights, and every night I was picked up at the end by the staff or a hotel. Uh, they had to carry me home to me. I couldn't. He'd get up and walk out the back, some back door that he knew about, yeah. and, and go up. I'd be sitting there with Anne. And right. She could walk, but I couldn't. Anyway, I was telling a story and he said, what do you got? That's the line, I, one line I remember, because he looked at me with those, and the eyes have looked like there were diamonds in them. Huh. I'm not kidding you. No, no. There was a sparkle. Yes. yes. And, and he looked at me with these twinkling eyes. He said, what? It was squinty, but he said, what do you got? I, I didn't know what to say. He said it three times. And the third time, he said, what do you got? His eyes uh, flashed on my glass. I thought, oh, my glass was full. The ice was melting. And, I, and, and he didn't like that. So I said, well, uh, I got Jack Daniels. <laughs> and, and, and he said, no. <laughs> he said, this was late. He said, when I say, what do you got? You say, I got Daniels. 
Okay. <laughs> and what he really meant was drink that glass of wine, so I, of, of, of scotch or bourbon, so I did. It's not bourbon, it's sour mash or whatever. You know, he, he terrified me. I saw him again in Las Vegas. It was the very end of the Desert Inn. Keely Smith was playing in the little room. Loved cues. Oh, yeah. I knew her since I was a little boy Did because you? she, Julie, in Showbo. And my mother uh-huh. was Ellie. It was a, it was a smaller part. Okay. Oh. And I traveled. This was summer stock. We went all over the Valley Forge, Camden, all these tents. And I was six. And Keely Smith was in it. And she was very cool those days. I met her much later on in Palm Springs, and she was she lived with the guy who wore the yes the new husband wore he wore a black t shirt that came down below his knees. He was funny. He was in the jukebox business. She had an affinity for. He, he was a, and he lived in the basement. They had a whole recording studio down there. I met her. I was recording the Rolling Stones at RCA. Yeah, um, sunset, and she was beautiful. And a guy who was a producer called Jimmy Bowen was married to her now. And we didn't allow many people in, but he was coming in and he was trying to get me to record Dino, Desi and Billy, which Uh included the sons of Dean Martin. Desi Arnaz? Yes, the sons. And Dino Martin Jr. And Billy Hinchy. I don't know. He he went on to be... I don't know know who Hinchy Sr. was. Anyway, there's no way I could do it. Even if I wanted to, the Rolling Stones would have laughed me out of the room. You want to record Dino Desium, Billy? Yeah. But Keith Smith was just, this is 65, was so beautiful. She was cool. He was very cool. She was really cool. Yeah. And we weren't, as we'd only been coming to America for a couple of years, we were not used to that type of cool. I'd probably witnessed that, a, a British version of that type of cool the first time I was in a room with Princess Margaret. Uh, I think she was cool, uh, 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 Keely Smith, in a way. Because she did have that Indian blood. She yeah. Wild. It was like John Phillips. Yeah. Cherokees. Yeah. Yes. Yes. John Phillips is uh, something that uh, we should definitely touch on. as I think it changed both our lives. The ability of the man to write and to live. The last time I saw him was when the Mamas and Papas were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. When was that? 96, maybe. Yeah. No, the Waldorf Astoria. When the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was still a glorious private party before it was a televised Tom Hanks event. And he came in on two crutches. I, I missed the last... 20 years of him. So did he. <laughs> no, I mean, sadly. No, I'm sadly, but he was, as Lou Adler said, I said, how's John? And he said, still looking for other parts of his body to finish. I, I first met him at 65. But you don't, at that age, like I said, I was 20, 21. And you don't ask people then how old they are. Right. But he already had 10 or 12 years on us. He was born... 34 or something like that. Oh, by goodness, he'd be in yeah. his 80s. By exactly. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. This time goes by. I was very, I was a kid. He hired me to paint his house. He was here with Genevieve Wade. Yes. And they were the, 
the toast of New York when they first got here. Yeah. They got here. They first, they lived at Avedon's house. And I was in love with her. I'll tell you the truth. Well, she was, you know. I just, could she just did, she cast a spell on me. Yeah. I mean, I was 20, too. I was 20. Yeah. And and so he hires me. I did, I, was, I was shiftless. And I needed something to do. It was 1974. 73, 74. And he, then he, he, he rented this house. Beautiful little Stanford White House right next to the Carlisle Hotel. And he wanted to paint it. And I, I remember I got this very special paint from Sweden or something. Missouri oil paint. I showed the walls would really shine. It was. I did the kitchen first. Huh. I don't know that I got anywhere but the kitchen. But it's just... <laughs> <laughs> and I photographed Genevieve there, and the, him, and then the kid. Tamerlane was just born, and China was so little, and everyone was in and out of that house. All the, the pop star, all the people you yeah. know. And they got Andy Warhol to produce the show with the songs from the record. Right. Called The Man on the Moon. That's right, yes. And I think Paul Morrissey directed it. Yep. And I, it was in the... It was, posh little theater off Broadway on Broadway everything was done with such style and then uh, it was uh, springtime for Hitler it lasted one night it was a disaster the reviews came in I mean it was it was camp you know yeah, yes but no one got it but there were so many there it so was, many shows that went no but this was great it was, oh. I loved the show I was the only person that loved it. oh that's not enough but I was because I yeah. loved Genevieve yeah. yes yeah see as you know I'm fascinated as to where it all came from with him, because to have got to California in 1965, and when Lou Adler said to me, come to the office, I've got something I want you to hear. And the offices were where all the record company offices and the talent agents were then, like on South Beverly Drive. Nothing was north of Wiltshire Boulevard, all that sort of Doris Day area. Right, <laughs> the flats. Yes, yes. And... They were in the office of Dunhill Records, and they must have sung 18 songs. This is before they recorded California Dreaming. They had already written every hit they were going to have. The same four. Yeah. And so I heard on that one day, California Dreaming, Monday, Monday, Creek Alley, their versions of Words of Love, their version of Dedicated to the One I Love. Right. They had the whole... This was a kind of change in pop music. They had the whole repertoire down so that once they had a hit they could go ballistic and buy things like nelson eddy and jeanette mcdonald's house right and, and party party he planned it yeah yeah he was brilliant yeah he was a brilliant genius of a, yeah. of a human being he had it all figured out and you could on occasion stand in the same cubicle as him but it was like a sort of time zone that he controlled when he turned up at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on the crutches, he thought, and you would think he's going to go on stage and do California Dreaming? He did? Yeah. But that night in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame at the, the Waldorf, they had three girls to sing Cass's part. Oh. Michelle was there, Denny was there, but John, you'd never know, you'd never know that five minutes before he was on a crutch. Once he was on stage, could have been the Ed Sullivan show. He came to life. He came to life. Not unlike when I saw... You remember Les McCann, the jazz... No, he might uh, have yeah. yes. But he... You see him being carried on stage, and then once it starts, 
See, this is one of the keys because I know you and I keep track of each other with our health. Recently, when our, our good health, deciding that um, musicians who rely on the health they feel on stage don't live very well off stage. That's theater people of every stripe. That's what? Theater people. Yes. Of every stripe. Yeah. My mother's like that. She's not working. It's a disaster. She's right. 90. Yeah. But she knows she's got a gig, which she does. Yeah. And she's going to do another show with Hal Perez. And you know what? She's all, she's 23 again. She's disciplined. She's a dancer, but right. it's all in preparation for the gig. She lives for those moments that she can work. And, and she loves what she does. And it, it is a tonic. Yes. But isn't there, but there's no time when he catches up how much preparation it takes to be physically able to do it, or is it just well, the adrenaline? John had many years of uh, obscurity uh, in the, uh, towards the end. No? Yes, yes, and those and it, no, those that can lead to bad ill health. Yes, yeah. Either you're going to have the most wonderful day anyway. That, yeah, but if you're not, if you if you've got this stage thing, yeah, then. And you don't got a stage, then those days are long and, and detrimental to the health. I think that... Uh, it can be. It can be. I mean, an obvious exception is, of course, is Mick Jagger. But he works all the time. Exactly. Nobody works at the work all the time. And then people forget that one of his golden gifts was his father, who was a PT instructor. Oh, I didn't know that. And his mother sold cosmetics door to door. Avon calling. So he had the whole deal. Mm-hmm. It's a compliment, Mick. It, you, if you go on to um, YouTube or Google or whatever, and you write him, because then he was, when he was a young boy, he was Mike Jagger. Mm-hmm. And you go, Joe Jagger, physical training or PT class with Mike Jagger. The father used to have a television show. And in the afternoons, for, for children who've just come back from school, and there is a classic one where the father's there with lots of young boys with gym slips or gym trousers and things. And he says, now young Mike, and Mike doesn't say it's my son. He said, now Mike will scale the rocks. It was in his DNA, the, yeah. all of this. Fritter. Yes. Fantastic. Yeah. So, his, so what, I, what I'm saying is that probably his level of feeling not quite up to par begins a lot earlier than mere mortals. At a higher standard. Yeah. Or as L. Ron Hubbard said, clear body, clear mind. He used to go to visit in the Adirondacks with an old friend of mine, Whitney Tower, who didn't have any of his discipline or background, and it's not in great shape today, but I love him. And they would, but he would go, this was like 35 years ago. Mick would go. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it's very fancy up there. It's a, Vanderbilt, and they had they owned the Adirondacks basically, and they had many lakes. They'd go from one lake to another on a sea a, a seaplane and land at the dock of the of another cabin where they'd spend a day fishing or whatever they would do. And it was lovely. And I used to go up, not when he was there, but not when Nick was there, but I went up other times. But, but he was there. He would run every day, yeah, and jog, and and it was total discipline. This was it was athletic.
Now, with Marianne Faithful, when she was very young and we were recording her for the first time, I didn't have the money to record her. And I got the money from Lionel Bart because he had a lot of money then. So we formed this company and we were going to uh, do... But we had to do one of Lionel's songs. Now, Marianne Faithful then, and some might say now, but I won't, technically cannot sing. She's an actress. But most white people, it is acting. I mean, if you've got pipes like... Joe Cocker, you can't help yourself. But other than that, Rod Stewart, don't tell me that he was born with that voice. He developed it. Yes, he knew sounds it. like it. Exactly. And the song by Lionel Bart was absolutely off. But we had to do it because he was paid for it. And I had a little song that Mick Keith and I had written as the B-side. Cool as Tears Go By. Oh, yeah. When it came, we couldn't... I pretended that the first one was good enough. It, it, was, it was horseshit. It was just terrible. It was like a reject from East Side Story. Never mind West Side Story. It was Lionel, Lionel at his worst. Uh-huh. I bet, but then you get worried, Jonathan, because so I can sing you that song. And now I go, wait a minute, if I can still sing you the song, maybe it was good. Because you said, I remember that piece of crap. Well, that was the definition, if you remember exactly. the hair. Yeah, right. And so I can say, I don't know how, but anyway. It's, <laughs> right? And all that. I can remember the first song that Brian Jones wrote that we thought was terrible. Uh-huh. Mind you, the ordeal that, would, that you know, we had to put Gene Pitney in a hotel room with him to try and drag a song out of him. Uh-huh. You know, it was very weird. But then it came to cutting this little B-side, as tears go by. And the musicians breathed such a sigh of relief to not be listening to this heinous thing that we'd been recording that you could hear that sigh of relief as they go into As Tears Go By... And it transported as tears go by from being a B side to an A side. What was the A side? Never came out. It was the piece of shit that Lionel wrote okay. that she couldn't see. <laughs> I don't know how. It came out on one of those Abco reissues, uh-huh. you know, of everything Marianne that shouldn't have done, shouldn't have recorded. As tears go by, was hers originally? Well, yeah. she was the first person who sang it, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. And it was a Mick Keith song edited by me. But it was just meant to be the B-side. But it had... Oh, thank God we're not playing that other piece of music. And you can hear that re- physical relief. So it's almost like having a picture take. Sure. You can That physical relief of the musicians playing, adding something that was never planned. And I just said, said this is top ten. And it was. Yeah. And it's we remain top ten. And it's a very beautiful song. Yes, it was. Yes. With no thought at that time, given that it's basically a song maybe for an older woman to sing, but the dichotomy, the, opposite, the question of opposites, is what made it uh, attractive. I had met her at a party and... Timeless. And, and got, whoa, look at this. And I knew she could sing for two reasons. Sing in quotes. One, because of her speaking voice... Uh-huh. And what I aligned it to was the fact that I remembered seeing Grace Kelly lying on her back in a dinghy with Bing Crosby in high society. Oh, yeah. Singing, she just sang the bridge of, for you and I have a guardian angel on high with nothing to do. And he takes the pipe out. That was magical, Grace Kelly. It was magnificent because the score was great. The, the soundtrack right. album was that. Never mind Easy Rider. The soundtrack of High Society was nothing but hits. No, it was great, and I knew because of Grace Kelly that Marion Faithful could sing, and we had a hit, and that's it. 
And we've had a hit with you, Jonathan. Thank you very much. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Thank you for being on Sounds and Vision. (laughs) (laughs) It's my pleasure. I did. Yeah, yeah, Mr. Jonathan Becker. I love having friends who are edutaining, who raise my game and inform me by what they know of what they speak and the rhythm of which they live their life. I'm not a Capricorn, but if I was, I would sponge all of it, all of what I can get from the presence of these people that we bring to you that it is a pleasure to have in my life and share in yours. Thank you, Jonathan. As a reminder, please go for show notes to our YouTube audiovisual companion playlist. Our show is produced by Mr. Craig Snyder. The audio design production is by Michael Donaldson. Thank you, Michael. Photography, Bettina LaPlante. You can get more episodes of Sounds and Vision by going to soundsandvision.net or by subscribing to this pod chat in your favorite podcast feed. You can reach me on Instagram or Twitter by finding at Luke Oldham. Facebook by going to facebook.com slash Andrew Luke Oldham. And to find more of the best music podcasts available to you, please visit DoubleElvis.com. Or follow Double Elvis on Instagram, the Double Elvis FM on Twitter. Sounds and Vision is brought to you from Because Entertainment. I look forward to seeing you next week because I enjoy you. Take care, share, and as always, please remember to beware the careless word. Ciao for now. Thank you.